our Bible, okay? I want you to go with me to Revelation chapter 3, okay? Rev, I hope you, I hope you brought the word. And today we're going to be looking at another one of our letters to the churches from Jesus through John to a, an interesting place, okay? Uh, if you've been with us, we've been on a circular journey. Do we have the map, Patrick? Can we throw that up there? No, that's fine. No big deal. Um, if you remember, I said to you that Jesus gave these letters to the Apostle John. John wrote the letters, handed them to a courier. There it is. And he, uh, he sent him to Ephesus. He went to Ephesus and dropped off a letter, Smyrna, Pergamum. Last week we were at Thyatira, and we're beginning to wind down. We've got three weeks left, and today we're going to be at the community of Sardis, a church called Sardis. Okay, Let me remind you of just a, a few things. One thing I remember telling you that I didn't want this to be a preaching exercise I really wanted this to be a, a big Sunday school class, okay? And I, let me just remind you that at 8 o'clock, when it was time to start Sunday school class, nobody was here. And I started having heart palpitations. I thought, you know, everybody's on vacation this weekend. Don's the only one here, and he's going to get it all. Of course, Don needs it, but anyway. Uh, but we're going to do a, more of a lesson idea, okay? And, uh, and, and I mentioned to you that as with every letter that, that Jesus writes through John, he always begins the letter in some way that relates to their history. And so to understand what Jesus is saying and what he's trying to get across, one of the things you have to do is you have to understand what's going on, uh, who each town was, a little bit of their history, where they were situated, uh, where they were, and some of the, the words that Christ uses then builds around the community and some of the emphasis in Sardis is no different, okay? Uh, Sardis was a capital of an ancient kingdom. Uh, he had a very rich past, and he mentions riches. He had an incredible reputation, a wonderful reputation, and Jesus is going to reference that as well. Okay, uh, it was one of. The, in fact, it not only was a, a, a wonderful ancient kingdom, probably in the way past, it was as good a kingdom as there was one of the greatest kingdoms. Okay, it was a fabulously wealthy uh, town, fabulously wealthy church. Okay. It was uh, situated at the convergence of five major trade routes. And so anytime you have trade routes or anytime you have uh, roads converging together, what you find is some major, major trade. And so what was going on in Sardis was there, not our Sardis, this Sardis, because there's nothing in that, our Sardis, is it? But there was just a major hub of activity, a lot of buying, a lot of selling, a lot of marketing. Uh, and so when, when that happens, what you find is an awful lot of money going around. In fact, we're told that the first minting of gold and silver probably started right here, okay? Now listen, one other little important tidbit is this. Sardis was not only wealthy, but Sardis was a very secure town. It was built on the top of about a 1,500-foot hill, and uh, it was uh, a, a vertical walls. It was perpendicular to the ground. And what we're told about Sardis was nobody could even attempt to enter Sardis without being known. Uh, it was so high and so impregnable that, uh, that no enemy could approach without somebody knowing it unless perhaps the guards were asleep. Very significant. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in just a little bit, okay? Now what's interesting to me as I began to study this community and this church was that it was an incredibly wealthy, as I mentioned, 
very popular town, a great, great reputation. And yet when we read the letters, we begin to break down the letter, we're going to see that Jesus has some of the harshest words for this church. Think about it. They had wealth, people. They had security. Any town, any church, in any age would relish having these kind of dynamics in their community. Many think wealth. Many think security bring peace. And yet we're going to see that wealth and security are fleeting. And wealth and security, listen to me, are not real indicators of life. In fact, Jesus called this church the church of the dead. Now, as I began to study through it, I got to laughing because uh, this church had a lot of money. And one of the things about Indian Springs is when we come in on Monday morning, when the folks come to count the money, we hold our breath to see if we have enough to make payroll. If we don't, we're all going to go home on Tuesday. And so here was a church that had all kinds of money, and yet Jesus said they were dead. We're a church with no money, so maybe we have a little bit of life, you know. Uh, Jesus has some hard things to say. I don't know if you ever watched the movie the other night. Uh, our grandkids have been with us for three weeks. We're ready for them to leave. And uh, they actually went somewhere, our daughter and a daughter in love and son took them somewhere. So my wife and I are home alone for the first night in about three weeks. So we decided to do nothing except sit and we watched a movie. And I don't know if you saw a movie called The Impossible or not, but it's a true story about a family that went through the tsunami. You remember that? Some, how many of you saw that movie? Some of you need to get a life, man, you know. All you got to do is sit at home and punch a button and it comes up. Anyway, we were watching the movie, and the tsunami came, and the family got separated. The dad had the two younger boys, and the mother had the younger son. Of course, they didn't know that. So the dad takes the two boys, puts them in a little camp, and he goes out looking for the mother and the older boy. Well, one evening as the two boys are sitting, in fact, one of the little boys are sitting there, an elderly lady comes up to him. And he's sitting there looking at all the beautiful stars. And she said, you like to look at the stars, don't you? And uh, the young boy said, yeah, I do. And he said, you know, she said, we see all those twinkling of all those stars. But the fact is, some of those stars are dead. Some of those stars had exploded years ago. And even though we can see the lights, the fact is that the star is dead. Do you know that, that a star that is 30 light years away, even though it's dead, will shine for 30 years. We, it looks alive, but it died a long time ago. And as I saw that moving, I remember that lady saying that. My next day, I began to study Sardis. Sardis was a church like that. It had a name, gang, a good name. It had a rich history, gang, a good history. It had a wonderful past. It had everything. It had a lot of activity. It had, it had enough money. It had everything that any church would ever want to have. But he who holds the seven stars and he who holds the seven spirits says, you are dead. Church, we've got some mail in our inbox. 
We got some mail. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word? Revelation chapter 3. and We read together verses 1 through 6. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name that you are alive. Your translation may say, does any say reputation? Yeah, several translations will say reputation, okay? You have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. So what happens? Verse 2, well, wake up. Strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die, for I have found your deeds, have not found your deeds completed in my sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard, and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. Oh, they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed with white garments. I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. And then he closes, as with every one of his letters, for those who have an ear, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, this is an incredible letter. It's incredibly challenging to us who live in a country with so much prosperity. And yet, God, this may be as relevant as any of the letters. This may be as challenging as any of the letters because we all like to live in our complacency. We all like to look back over our shoulders and remember what has been. And the tendency is to live again what has been and not look to what is yet to be. God, you've blessed our fellowship and we look back, at least I'm able now to look back and see some wonderful things. And yet, God, my heart burns for what is yet tomorrow, next month. Next year, beyond even if you tarry, you're coming, even beyond my years. So God, help us to get what we need to get from this letter in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, gang, you can be seated. I promise you, you won't get up until it's time to go to Sunday school class. And everybody goes to Sunday school, amen? There you go. All right, I want us to begin in verse 1. Keep your Bible open, okay? Let's look at verse 1, and notice how Jesus introduces himself. He introduces himself in a way that relates to every church. I mentioned that. Here he says, I who hold the seven spirits and the seven stars says. Okay. Now, we know that the number of seven is the number of completion, right? And so theologians and scholars, when they look at this letter and begin to break down this letter, the first thing they tell us is that number of completion or that number of perfection shows to us who really is in control and really in charge of the church, and that is Jesus Christ. And I think it's important. Again, we need to recognize the preacher's not in control here, okay? 
The preacher's not in charge here. I've had some folks from time to time come and say, well, what about doing this? You're the preacher. We can do it. I said, no, I can't. You know, I don't have control over money. You know, I don't have control over personnel. I mean, somewhat over personnel. But the fact is, uh, the one who runs this church is Jesus Christ. And the goal that we have is to find what Jesus... In fact, I was, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I was praying Saturday, uh, yesterday, in my quiet time, and I... I said, Lord, what I think is very important for us as we think about the future is that our plans that we have match your purpose for our church. You see, the goal isn't that, that, that I decide what the purpose is or, or Brother Don decide what the purpose is. The goal is for us to decide what God's purpose is. And then as we make our plans, we make our plans to fold around the purpose of God. And, and so without a doubt, Jesus is wanting to say, you're not in control here. I'm really in control, okay? But there's more to this description of Jesus than just that, okay? Many actually think that, that when he talks about the fullness there, he's talking about life. The life of the church is in the Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit. You see, this idea that, that wealth can carry you is wrong. Many think that, that security will carry you and they're wrong. Many think that that activity, work in the community, uh, past success can carry you. But what Jesus is wanting them to know, and I believe what Jesus wants us to know, is that life is in the Spirit, the giver of life. Many a church who may be thought of by many to be in good shape and have it all right, fact is they may have it all wrong they're like those stars that still shine but died a long time ago let me remind you dear people that life is in Christ life is not in business methods life is not in social ideas life is not in human philosophies life is a faith model it's not by might it's not by power but it's by my spirit saith the Lord. And if Indian Springs is going to continue until Jesus Christ comes, Indian Springs is going to continue because of the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God, not because of the energy of any particular man or group of people. Okay. In fact, let me, again, I'm going to jump ahead, but I, maybe the Lord wants me to do that. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a pastor of a church. And he called me the other day, and he told me, he said, and the church is having really major problems. And gang, churches are having problems today. We, we're kind of insulated from a lot of that. We don't fight. But a lot of churches are having a lot of problems. And this church is having a lot of problems. He said, Tommy, he's only been there about a year, year and a half, and boy, it's eating him up. And he said that when, that when the other pastor left, he stood before the church, and he said... This church is dead. Jesus left a long time ago, and he walked out. And he said, I've come now, and all I hear is, Jesus isn't here, that we're dead. But the fact is, I, in fact, I, I, I told him about Sardis. There's a few, Jesus says, in Sardis that have not sold their garments. And as long as there are a few, and I'll, I'll say this again, a little, I'll be redundant, I can do that, I'm old. As long as there's a few, 
that don't soil their garments. As long as there's a few in the church of Jesus Christ that doesn't give in to the world and the world's philosophies, there's always hope for the church. There's got to be those who hold to the things of God and abide by the Word of God and the precepts and the commandments of the Word of God. And as long as there's a few, it doesn't have to be a majority. But beloved, as long as there's a few that will hold to the things of God, then the church always has hope. Okay. Now I want us to look at verse 1 and 2 for just a moment. I, I want to talk about the rebuke that Jesus gives to them. We have to be honest in these letters. So here it comes. Okay. Jesus, first of all, tells them that they have deeds, but they're dead. They have a reputation, but it's false, okay? Jesus has no commendation to the church, apparently. What's amazing to me, there's no uh, doctrinal problems here. There were no persecutions either, okay? In fact, if you were to take a synopsis look, if you were to take a, uh, from down and, and you look down on Sardis, you know what you would see? You would see a church that was at peace. Isn't that interesting? Peace may be a sign not of health, but of deadness. Gang, listen, there's a difference in, in, in peace and unity. Unity is a choice that a church makes as they struggle to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. Unity does not mean that we always agree on everything, but unity does mean we understand what our purpose is. That we understand what our core belief is, that our core values are, and we decide to stay focused on the core, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the call of discipleship that Jesus gives the church. The reason we got three ladies going to Africa is because we believe that the people in Africa need to hear the message of Jesus Christ. The reason my son and his sweet family spend their life in Macedonia, and we help them with that. Our Southern Baptist Convention supports that. The reason we do that is that we believe that discipleship is important. We believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ must be at the core of everything we do at this church. But that church in Sardis missed it. Vance Havner, a great, great preacher of years gone by. You ever notice the great preachers are all of years gone by? Tells you a little bit about us, Don, you know. Vance Havner was a great preacher. Vance Havner said he one time pastored a church that uh, was peaceful. He said it was so peaceful, the only, only thing uh, remotely resembling it, its peace was a cemetery. He said it was so peaceful it was dead. He said it was so peaceful and dead that the flies had already gone, you know. Well, there's a difference in unity and in peace. Unity is we build our church around the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here was a church at peace, but it had no virility. Here was a church that had no vitality. It might have been socially distinguished, but it had no spiritual distinctiveness. When God looked at her, God saw deadness. God saw that she was not fulfilling her purpose. Jesus says, your deeds are not complete. Now listen to me for a moment, okay? There's a danger here for any church that has had some of the blessings of God on her in the past. 
There's a danger for any church that has a name. And we have a good name in our community. There's a danger for any church that has a reputation to live off of that name. Become soft and easy. There's a danger for a church to become peaceful. Past success does not equate to present strength. Now this church didn't have a problem with love. This church didn't have a problem with doctrine as some of the churches had. Her problem was deception. She pretended to be something she had lost. Her reputation may not have been a reality. It takes discernment to really know and evaluate a church. You see, the real question is not what does man or the community see. The real question is not what the church thinks and feels. What really matters, and the question we ought to continually ask ourselves, what does Jesus see at Indian Springs Baptist Church? What does Jesus feel about our fellowship? This church came up lacking. In fact, if you'll scan to verse 4 for just a moment, it indicates that something was going on, a pollution had entered the church. You see the word soiled there in verse 4? That word means polluted. Something had become defiled. Something had spoiled in that church. Maybe it was a, an increasing number of, of church members who really were not Christians at all. Maybe they were professing Christians, but they were not possessing Christians. Whatever it was, it was killing the church. And Jesus responded to them in a very direct way. In fact, out of all the letters, this is kind of the harshest. Okay? I know we're building with, with the last several, but I want to tell you, this may be as harsh a letter that Jesus gives to any of the churches. Okay? Well, then, what is the church to do? If God challenges us, then what do we do? Well, I want you to look at verse 2 and 3 because we find five commands, very important commands that he gives to the church. And let me, let me be a little bit redundant, okay? Uh, I want to give to you, uh, remind you of something I just said that I think is wonderful. He said there's a few of you. And, beloved, as long as there's a few, the church has hope. And the question for you this morning is, am I part of the few? Am I that father, or am I that mother, or am I that couple, or am I that person who has committed my life, regardless if anybody else follows along with me? Am I one of those people that have committed my life to be faithful and true unto death? That's the challenge, okay? Now, what are the commands? Well, look with me beginning in verse 2. He says, wake up. You see that? Literally, the command is to be watchful. And the idea, the picture that, that Jesus presents to the church is, is that, that we're to keep our eyes open and we're to always be on the lookout, to be discerning, to be, to be watchful. Remember I told you that Sardis was about 1,500 feet high on a vertical mountain. It was a community that could never be overrun, and yet two times in our history, we find that the enemy slipped in and conquered the community. Both times was when a guard was not posted in the most secure area. The enemy scaled the walls, overran the town. They knew what Jesus was saying to them. We should as well. 
You see, the areas of our greatest strength can be the areas that we are most vulnerable to in the attack of the enemy. To them, it was their wealth. To them, it was their security, and yet they went to sleep. They didn't post their guards. They weren't watching. They weren't being discerning. They weren't walking with the Spirit. And so what happened was their wealth and their security failed them. Jesus says to them, and I want to say to each of us today, wake up, watch, be discerning, keep the guard posted, watch because the enemy, like a roaring lion, always walks around seeking to destroy the work of God. Command number two is the word strengthen. See that there? Strengthen the things that remain. Now the that the idea of strengthen is to sit firmly in place. The idea is that we as a church must firmly determine and not waver from what our core really is. In other words, we have to ask ourselves, and that's what I, this friend of mine that called, I, I said, well, let me ask you this. Why are you there? I think that's what you have to ask yourself. Why are we here? Why is Indian Springs Baptist Church on a little section of a service road on the interstate, out of all the places that a church could be, why was it that many years ago some people felt like this was the spot to plant a church? Why was it that many years ago those that we stand on their shoulders now who are are already in heaven, they sacrificed so much of their time Sacrifice so much of their money, so much of their labor to lay a foundation, to clear off some land, to build a few buildings. We must ask ourselves, why are we here? And what does it take to make it work? They in Sardis didn't do that. And I've already said to you, and we've been emphasizing a lot, that one of the greatest challenges that we have is to continually work on our discipleship. And you need to hear me on that. We do a great job with our kids' ministry. I'm really proud of what we're doing in our kids' ministry. We do a, a great job in our youth ministry. I'm proud of what we're doing in our youth ministry. One of the areas, however, that I feel like, and, and Don and I agree with, we're on the same page, uh, that we need to strengthen up. We need to call into account the leadership of our church in the area of adult discipleship. My son and I were, were talking, and I said, Jeff, it's amazing to me. We've got 50-something thousand people within a five-mile radius of the church, and we don't have enough room to do anything. Somehow we've got to figure out how we're going to... And I know 50,000 people are not going to come. I don't want to pastor 50,000 people. I'm already getting old, okay? And I know that. I, I know that. There's so many churches all around, man, that, that all of us could be full. But I want to tell you what I do believe. I believe God wants us to reach some of them. Amen? And so we've got to figure out how to do that. And, and we have to be sure what is the core. Why are we here? We're here for making of disciples, whatever that takes. So he tells this church, first of all, to wake up. Second, to strengthen. Number three, to, and I'm going to combine three and four, remember and keep. I'm going to put those together. Remember and keep. One of the good things, I guess if there's anything good about the past, is that we can go back and let our minds reflect 
on that which is really good and do that work again. Okay? Memory can be precious if it takes you off detours, gets you back at the starting block. Now, when you get to the back to the starting block, man, you gotta you gotta obey, don't you? You have to keep it. You gotta keep go back doing. Couples come to see me, you know, and they come in there so mad at each other, and eighty percent of their marriage is good, but boy, they're ticked off, man. You know, in fact, one of them wants to shoot the other one. I'm just glad they don't. We don't allow guns when they come in, you know. And so what I tend to do is I say, well, listen, let's go back. What was it like when it was good? Boy, you just see their complexion. Oh, everything changed. Well, man, we went on dates. and You know, I bought her flowers. And, you know, gave me candy, you know. Helped me vacuum the floor and wash the clothes. And actually gave the kids baths, you know, the whole thing. I said, hey, why don't you go back and do that all over again? And they look at me like, duh, what do you mean? Give the kids baths, Dad. You know, hey, on your way home, pick up some chocolate. You get some of it along the way too, right? I mean, have you guys ever given her chocolate and not ate some of it? What does that mean? Well, something about memory is it allows you to go back and recapture the moments and allows you to start again. And that's what he's saying here. Go back, remember where you detoured, go back to the place of departure, start all over again. And just go back doing the things you did before. That's where the obeying comes in. You see, the blessing of the Lord is that when He calls us to go back, He allows us to do that. He calls us to go back. He allows us to go back. And He allows the church to start fresh. Doesn't the Bible say His mercies are new every morning? Sometimes the church needs to do that, okay? And then the last command is the word repent, which is so prevalent in all of these letters. This is the sixth time in these letters that He calls the church to repent. And there will be another one coming up at the end. In Laodicea, it'll come again, okay? Repentance, what does it mean? It means to turn around and start all over again. For the Christian, however, it adds an element of brokenness to it. The word repent in Scripture means to be broken before God, perhaps even be anguished before God. To humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, recognizing that He is totally sovereign and totally in control. Confess your sin. Forsake your sin. Start all over again. I tell you, I, I think that's the mark of a healthy church. I think it's the mark of a healthy Christian that we live in continual repentance. I think I mentioned in one of the letters that one of the great marks of a growing Christian is not that you don't sin because we all sin, Right? One of the marks of a growing healthy Christian is that you are continually in a state of repentance. Yes, you repented once of sin and God through grace saved you, okay? But you continually repent. You don't always say good things to your wife. Wives, you don't always say good things to your husband. Sometimes you think bad thoughts. Sometimes you do bad things. So what do you do? You continually repent day after day, moment after moment. Experience grace after grace. You continually repent. And he calls the church to continual repentance. And beloved, that's a way of life for the church. I want you to notice how, how Jesus kind of rams it home here. He says, if you don't, I'm going to come to you like a thief in the night. And you're not even going to know when I do that. Remember twice that happened to them. Their history showed them that. And yet they didn't get it. And so the church at Sardis died. 
that is not going to happen here. We're not going to let that happen here, are we? We're going to continually watch. We're going to continually strengthen our core. We're going to remember and do again those deeds. And we're going to continually repent, okay? All right, let me kind of close it up. Look at verse 4 and 5. I'm going to read the last two, well, at least verse 4 and 5 to you. Because I want to show you the reward that he gives. And it's really a beautiful thing. Verse 4, but you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. Now, let me, let me stop for a moment. That means that there's been some that have. Okay? We don't know for sure what it is. The idea is pollution. Most of these letters have something to do with idolatry, have something to do with sexual immorality. So, if you want to read into it, possibly there was some of that going on, but we don't know it for sure like we do in some of the other letters, but there was some kind of spoiling going on. But there was a few of them that stayed true. Now, notice those who stayed true. They will walk with me in white, for they're worthy. He who overcomes, which is a great New Testament word for Nike, victory. He who, he who is the victor, okay, will thus be clothed in white garments, I will not erase his name from the book of life. That's not a, an idea that you can lose your salvation. That's strengthening eternal security. I, in fact, it's called the double negative. It means I will by no means ever erase his name from the book of life. And then Jesus says, more than that, I'm going to confess his name before my father and before his angels. Okay, Let me give you a couple quick thoughts before we're through, okay? First one is, did you notice the contrast? Soiled garments versus clothed in white. False name or reputation versus confession of the name before the Father and angels. Which would you prefer, dear people? White robes indicate purity, indicate worthiness. White robes were used in festive occasions when they had... Um, Marriage ceremonies, they would dress in white. When there was a victory celebration, they would dress in white. So there's a great celebration coming for those who don't soil their garments, for those who stay true, which I believe is the real church of Jesus Christ, those who persevere unto the end. Those are the children of the living God. Confession of the name means that one day, listen to me, one day, our precious Lord, will affirm to God the Father that we belong to Him. And, and I'm, I wrote down something. I said, allow me a little silliness, okay? Here's the picture that came to my mind. Here's our precious Savior, He who died upon the cross and shed His blood for our sin. Here He is, standing before God the Father. And He'll say something maybe like this. Hey, Dad. This guy or this girl didn't soil their garments. They're the true believers and, and followers of me. They are not just professors. They are possessors of my spirit. And Dad, it's more than just a name. It's more than just a reputation. It's more than just something that happened in the past. Dad... This guy, 
Dad, this girl, or perhaps Dad, this church, belongs to me. And I hope you understand what the Spirit is saying to the church today. I hope you understand what the Spirit is saying to you today. You see, beloved, when you know you belong, when you know that you belong, it changes everything, doesn't it? And when you know that you belong by grace without any works, it changes the equation of life. Now, but changes the equation for all of eternity. To think that there's going to be a day, John, when Jesus presents you to the Father. Hey, Dad, John is mine. JL, there's going to come a day, so doy. There's going to come a day when God is going to recognize you as a child of God. What an incredible reward that's waiting the children of the living God. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. The question this morning is, on that day of the great confession, will you be there? Huh? On that day when the names are called and the book of life is opened, Will your name be there? Barbara's going to come and play softly. Don and I will be here. And I don't know if God spoke to your heart today or not. This letter challenged me in many regards. If it's challenged you, then maybe God wants you to make some kind of decision. We'll give you that opportunity right after I pray. Father, I love you. And I praise you, God, for the letters and the challenges that they present to us. Not always easy. But yet, God, they're truth. And only from your word do we find truth that changes not just our life, but our eternal life, perhaps today. There are a few that, Lord, you've challenged where they're at in life. And maybe your spirit is convicting them about where they are in life. So, God, these next few moments, God, we pray for your freedom in those hearts that you've touched. In Jesus' name.